Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Shared Ireland podcast. Hope you are all keeping well. So today I have got the absolute pleasure of sitting in a complete stranger's kitchen. Um, how this uh, conversation that you're about to hear was um, initially came about was the DUP leader parody account is um, kind of famous on Twitter nowadays for having his Twitter spaces chats. And um, a couple of nights ago we had one and it was a very interesting one. And our guest today, I heard him speak on it. And I said, do you know something? I'm going to send this man a, a WhatsApp or sorry, a DM and see what he'd be prepared to come on and talk. Now he's going to speak for himself obviously, but a brief description of, of I guess how I think his thinking goes is he was born in a unionist community, uh, but is prepared to look at all options moving forward. And I guess I'm referring to the constitutional question here. Um, but I think like, like us all potentially, he needs to know what exactly he potentially would be voting for. So it's on that basis that I invited Brian Donaldson on to the Shared Iron Podcast. Brian, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for inviting me on. It was uh, it's always good to have a stranger in your kitchen um, <laughs> <laughs> on a on a wet Sunday afternoon. Um, and, and it was nice to, to touch base with you, obviously on the, the the Twitter space with the the DUP leader party. It's the, it's a good space for conversation about stuff like this. It is. It has taken what we started. Um, you know, on the Shared Iron Podcast. Um, um, but he has now turned it into a, a live event. What's and there's something very you know challenging and exciting about it. I think it's raw. It's raw is the perfect word. Yeah. Brian, um, I guess I always start off by asking our guest to tell our listeners who Brian Donaldson is, a little bit about your early years, and I suppose ultimately what shaped the guy that you are today. Yeah, well, so I grew up in uh, Limavady, just on the outskirts of, of Derry. Um, grew up in a, in a unionist family. Um, mother, stepfather, father were all in the, the services. Um, so again, I grew up a unionist, not because I chose to be a unionist. I grew up a unionist because that's what my family were. Um, my grandfather was in the Orange Order, um, something that I haven't taken up myself. Um, so it was, we lived a good life. It's a pity because we've never had a member of the Orange Order on our podcast, so you could have been the first. I could have been the first. His <laughs> sass uh, is up in, in my mother's, uh, in my mother's roof space, and it'll probably stay there. So, well, um, I, I don't see me uh, being in, but I've, I've had conversations with Mervyn Gibson, and I found him to be... Sorry about that, we just had a sick cat, would you believe it there? Uh, so hopefully the poor cat's okay now. Um, Ryan, you were saying you had conversations with Mervyn Gibson? Yeah, I suppose when I was um, when I was growing up, I avoided the PEL community probably more so than, than being involved in it. Um, and at later stages now, I realise that was wrong of me to sort of brush aside people's concerns and issues around modern day stuff that's going on. Um, so I went out and found the likes of Mervyn Gibson to have a conversation with him and asked him 
his views and his concerns about what's happening now. So I find it quite a quite an interesting journey to find out about my own background more so than than anyone else's background. Tell me this, right? I'm I'm was born like you. I think very well put it. You you were born into a unionist household. I was born a Catholic. You know, yeah. Uh, wasn't either for choices. But from, from, from my perspective, and I guess my community's perspective, maybe wrongly so, but maybe you can help clarify this. We we look upon the Orange Order as being anti-Catholic. It's very simple. You know, are Catholics even allowed to be members of the Orange Order? Um, well, I think you're, you're not here to speak for them. I, I I'm not here to speak for them, but, you know, my, my understanding of the Orange Order is they're, they're very different from the bands. You know, there, there has to be a, a line drawn between your local band and your local Orange Order. Um, the Orange Order would do a lot of work for the local community. Now, if the, a lot of them are based in unionist communities, they're obviously going to do more for the unionist community. Um, and if that's what you're judging them on, that would be right. Um, yeah, but, but my question was, what's the whole premise? Why, why were they... Um, why were they, why did they come into existence? And is that correct in my assumption that a Catholic cannot be a member? Um, I don't know if a Catholic can, can become a member. Um, and again, my, my grandfather would probably be ashamed of my knowledge of the Orange Order. Um, I don't, uh, I don't honestly know. I've had no involvement with them myself. No. And in fairness, they've never done anything for me as a person and they've probably done the same for you, so we're, we're no, and, I, and it is wrong of me to, to put these questions to you because obviously you're not a <laughs> spokesperson, <laughs> as you said, you're not even a member, so no. yeah. So, anyway, um, your mother was in the RUC, yeah, mother died about a time in the RUC, um, you know, which would, would have been from what years to what years? Oh, back when I was, uh. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, so 30 years ago, or around that time, 20, 30 years ago, so it would have been, um, it would have been a scary time at that stage, she was a, a single, um, so you're talking late 80s, early 90s? Early 90s. Mm -hmm. um, Tell me what was it like as a son of a servant member of the RUC back then? Um, I suppose the most obvious question for me is, describe to me a typical morning. Um, you're running about getting breakfast, ready to go for school. What happened then? They were doing the check done underneath the car for a bomb. And who would have done that check? Your father or stepfather? Well, my, my stepfather or my mother. And and, um, and how would they do that check? With a wing mirror, normally on a stick or a piece of glass or a piece of mirror on the end of a stick. It so a, it would be a homemade device or uh, would it be provided by the RUC? <laughs> it was a homemade device looking for a homemade device. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, we're not laughing. Uh, uh, I know it's a very serious um, serious subject yeah. we're talking about, but I'm laughing at them. Yeah, you made it yourself a DIY job, DIY. Blue Peter. <laughs> um, I think there was a bit less time when they're making those and, and the other homemade stuff. But <laughs> and tell me, this, did you, did you ever find a homemade device? No, planted underneath your car. Th thank, thankfully, we didn't. Um, but to me, that was normal, and it was the same with the um, the registration plates in the garage that were fake registration plates that the, the police officer had put in their cars when they were leaving the station, so they weren't followed home. All that stuff I now know now was 
strange, but to me it was normal. It was just part of life. It's strange for me and maybe some of our listeners here now, but as you say, it was your lived experience. It was my, uh, but it was never, I never seen it as something that was worrying or bad because it was everyday life. Tell me this, Brian, but while in the morning, and I find this interesting just when, when your parents were um, holding this blue Peter <laughs> um, wing mirror underneath the car to see was there any strange devices attached to it. What was your neighbours thinking? Or did you live in a community where this was normal practice in that community? We, we would have lived in a, a community that would have had a lot of prison officers and police officers. Limavati itself as a town was very close to McGilligan prison and it was very close to the, the Waterside police station, Maydown. And is it correct to say that your stepfather was actually a prison officer? Stepfather was in the police, my father was in the prison office. Right, okay. So, wow, wow. So your mum was in the police, your father was in the police. Stepfather was in the Step police. Stepfather and your, and your father was a prison officer. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get it right eventually. So, so yeah, you were um, heavily... Uh, and not involved, but heavily um, associated with 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 um, the security yeah. aspects of, of which would have been know. a very unionist thing. Yes, then, of course. Um, before mm-hmm. um, they tried to level up the police service and stuff, so that would have been a, a very sort of middle class unionist background. There was a, lo- a lot of people in Mavadi that would have worked in those services. Had any of your extended family any bad ever happened to anyone? Um, no, I have to say um, there was obviously colleagues and, and, and stuff that worked with, with my parents that had um, that had bad experiences. I don't know much about them because it was never really spoke about. It was, you know, keep that away at work and, and family life's family life. And that has to be, I appreciated that, you know, that I don't have, I don't carry the baggage of, um, you know, death or a, related to the services. How was it like for a young lad in his early teens living in a household where there would have been firearms in the house? <laughs> they were in a safe. Um, that's really all I remember. They were they were locked away in a safe. Um, we never seen them or touched them or looked at them. We were never exposed to them in any way. Um, I think the first time I fired a firearm, I was maybe 16, 17, firing a, a, a shotgun at a crew. Was, was there any, can you remember, was there any security measures, for want of a better word, that your parents said in the event of, you know, something happening, this is our routine, this is our drill? No. No, again, there was no, there was no, if there's a, a knock at the door, I suppose I remember my mum waiting up late at night, um, you know, to see if, if my stepfather was coming home, you know, but then that didn't reflect on us as children, you know, that was, that was kept away from us, um, so that, you know, that's, I suppose that... I suppose that's testimony to, to my parents that I don't have I don't have their negative view on um, 
you know, hardline Republicans that, that hasn't transferred to me those feelings um, mm -hmm. because they kept my life as normal as possible. Mm -hmm. um, although I'm sure it was hard times for them, of but it wasn't for me. Yes. Um, you know, so that, like, I appreciate that. Uh, and, and I think that's a very good point and, and fair play to them for doing that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And there was no hate. Like, I was never taught to hate um, another person because of their beliefs. Uh, so, you know, that, you know, we see a lot of that nowadays where hate is generational. Um, but certainly for me, that wasn't passed on. Tell me this, Brian. How would you describe yourself politically as we speak here today? Homeless. Like, I would be homeless uh, in the sense of, I would probably be centre-right. Okay. Um... You know, and there's no real union. The DUP, well, I was once told the DUP is a, the political party for you, but I, I couldn't agree with them on um, the more liberal issues around life. Um, but I probably agree with them on business. Um, that sort of conservative mantra on business where the free market rules free and uh, does as well as it does, and that's what decides how business is good. Uh, but I would be more liberal on the... You know the likes of the gay marriage. Um, you would be more liberal personally. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just don't think that um, government should have a say so in people's social life. Did you vote for breakfast? Brexit. Breakfast. Brexit. Brexit. <laughs> sure, I put up a post the other day about continental breakfast, and I get slated for it. Oh, um, that's because you're a chef. You see, uh, wasn't allowed. <laughs> well, and we were talking about <coughs> cooking before I had to play it or the record button. Yes. Did you vote for Brexit? May I nope. You didn't? I didn't vote at all. Ah, okay. Um, and you know, the last three years I've only sort of come in to really trying to understand the government in Northern Ireland um, and trying to understand how government policy can affect the future for us. So um, Brexit happened when I was working away and the result came out, but it's made no change to my life. You know, and I think that's the I think that's the really concerning thing is Brexit is deemed as whether it's a positive or a negative. You know, you hear so much commentary about it and the protocol and Brexit every day, the political reps are putting it in your space. But I still go to work, I still get paid, I still buy food in the shop, I still drive the car. Nothing has, Brexit hasn't changed my life. Is it not concerning, as but Brian, that... The majority of people living in the north didn't vote for it, but yet now it's been forced upon us. I'm not sure I agree with that narrative in the sense of if you're part of the UK and there's a UK-wide vote, you have to accept it. But we have devolution. Um, the Welsh have their own parliament, the Scottish, and obviously so do we. So we, we have got that ability, apparently, been, we're told in Emily <laughs> to make our own decisions, but yet no, no, when it comes to Brexit, we haven't got our own decision. Um, so it, it's kind of cherry picking, is it not? Well, well, that's what devolution is. There's only some matters are devolved, and yeah. if we accept that only some matters are devolved, we can't get upset when... And that's why I use the word cherry picking. Yeah, well, that's what devolution is. <laughs> yeah. Devolution is a cherry picking government. Yeah. So if you accept devolution, you're going to have to accept that sometimes the stuff that you want to cherry pick you can't do so the same sex marriage and all the rest of it too we we, we just take whatever's been more offered is that it 
well, I think probably being part of the UK is bypass the DUP on the gay marriage thing and that's going through the UK. So, um, Irish language. Irish language again going through the UK government rather mm -hmm. than our own, mm -hmm. um, which frankly I find embarrassing if I'm honest. Um, yeah, it seems, it seems as if we're, are we not capable of, of, of um, doing our own thing here? Well, yeah, I, I asked that question of myself and, uh, and of people on Twitter a lot is, you know, is there maybe a, is it maybe better to have the UK government run us for five years until we work out how to do it right? Because we're not doing it right. You know, I'm laughing here because it seems so, um, yeah, I don't know what it seems. Well, you know, it seems to work better for nationalism to go to the UK government to, to sort their issues to, out. To railroad a bill through. You know, to get it through. And, and I just think, is it maybe now the time where when the, the institutes are collapsed that we maybe look at saying, right, well, we'll let the UK government do it for five years. And instead of this rush, so... NDNA was a rush to get through. Um, you know, St Andrew's Agreement was, uh, it seemed to be a bit of a carve up for DUP and Sinn Féin to benefit them from the Good Friday. You know, do we be now take stock for five years um, and really try and build towards proper governance in Northern Ireland and what that looks like uh, and have, you know, have a Good Friday Agreement 2.0, something that's really well thought out take the time, take the breathing space and then go again in five years instead of going back into another five year cycle of it works, it doesn't work, it works, we're not happy, we're leaving, we're leaving, you know, uh, that's not good for anyone. I'm going to ask you a personal question here and just say no and, and I'll move on. <laughs> Assembly elections are just around the corner. I asked you a question earlier and you, your answer was you feel politically homeless. Number one, are you going to vote in the upcoming assembly elections? And number two is, who are you going to vote for? Um, I had spoke about spoiling the ballot. Um, that was that was a, a potential option. Um, but I am in the Strangford area, and and there's, if I'm voting for people that I believe in that want to make change. You're probably looking at someone like Connor Houston, SDLP, um, Mike Nesbitt of the UUP, uh, would be two people that that I like. You know, if I dug deeper into their policies, I probably wouldn't like them, but potentially those two is, is, is who I could vote for. So, um, I see how it goes. Well, well, I, for me, you know, that's the typical what floating voter, I suppose. One of them. Self-proclaimed Nationalist Party, SDLP, Conor Houston, and the other one, obviously, a Unionist Party, and Mike Nesbitt with the uh, UUP. So you, you definitely are the sort of person that I personally want to be speaking to, and I'm hoping our listeners want to speak to as well. And I suppose that leads me on, Brian, to, I guess, what we prefer to talk about here in the Shared Ireland podcast, and that is the big question, constitutional change and the prospect of it. A border poll, whatever. Now, I understand everybody can say, you know, we have more important things to be dealing with now. And of course we have real life issues. The assembly is down. Uh, Paul Gibbon pulled out as first minister. 
we've still got the hopefully the leftovers of COVID to deal with. We've got an education system, not great. We've got an NHS on his knees. So of course we've got bigger things to talk about. However, this is what we're doing. We're only having a conversation to start planning, preparing, discussing what it might look like. And I guess for for you speaking before we hit the record button today, your question to me was, what is it going to look like? And do you know something? It's a question that I have to ask myself at times too, and I guess everyone listening to this, it's okay calling and looking for aspirations, but when it comes to the practical, everyday living reality, what is it going to look like? Mike Nesbitt jokingly said to me a couple of years ago on this podcast, he says, like if, if you get a summons, will it be the Garda Shikana turn up to uh, summons you, or will it be the PSNI? He also joked about what colour will the post boxes be, <laughs> will they be red or green? You know, and while they're not very um, important things, but still, these wee silly things still need to be spoken about. You know, um, so I'll let you, I suppose, take over there and maybe flesh this out a bit. Yeah, well, for me, as a human being, you always want to improve your life. So uh, I'll always look to improve my life. Um, and, and that, can, to me, there's two options in Northern Ireland. One is... Uh, a United Ireland uh, or a New Ireland or a Shared Ireland we haven't even really been able to nail down <laughs> what we're going to call yeah. the New Ireland for, for me I, I don't like using the word United Ireland because for me I think that could um, conjure up images for a unionist as you know old 1970s Republican talk so yeah. I, I, I tend to steer away from that type of uh, so terminology just and a New Ireland seems to be the new yeah United Ireland. Well, um, well, obviously, I like our own shared Ireland. Shared Ireland. <laughs> um, shared Ireland. So there, there's that option, and then they're, they're staying within the union. But for me, that's not a good enough reason to stay within the union, just to stay within the union. It has to be a new Northern Ireland. Um, you know, that has to be the... If it came down to a border poll, I would want to have options for a shared Ireland and a new Northern Ireland which has improvements to it. So you're looking at stuff like maybe the UK government taking advantage of the protocol. We'll not get into the protocol. Because it's please, please don't. <laughs> you know, but th th there could be, with with bits removed from the protocol, there could be a resound and sort of we'll keep this. And the UK government then could propose to make Northern Ireland the, the, the green economy hub for the UK, bringing in big jobs. Um, you know, we're, we already are, we're setting the trend in cyber security and stuff, so we'll be going to the green economy sector um, that will guarantee jobs, you know, and we can become something better. So that needs to be, for me to want to stay in the union, that needs to be there. Mm -hmm. um, but then, as we spoke about before, when you talk about a shared island um, and a shared Ireland, I would be quite pragmatic in what I do. So, um, when I was open to the idea or, or looking to research it, um, I went away and thought, right, well, for a hundred years, this section of the community has been calling for this. So obviously there's a, there's a roadmap. There is no roadmap. And it's the same when I, I said to you, when, when I go to buy a car, I'll first of all ask somebody that's had, so I'll ask my stepdad or ask my friend about a Ford, what's it like, you know, their lived experience of that. So no one's had a lived experience of a shared island. Um, certainly not. There's nobody alive that's had that. So 
there isn't that data to go and look at or that experience. I suppose that's an interesting point because um, we spoke briefly before um, we hit the record button and I suppose my answer to you was I have had a lived experience of Northern Ireland, the North of Ireland. Yeah. Um, now, because it's been in existence this past hundred years, so obviously I haven't witnessed it all, but my community has, I guess, that's what I mean. So there's not really much learning for us to do. We've seen how it works. It was it discriminated yeah. quite clearly against my community. Um, so I'm guessing, as you said yourself, being a pragmatic man that you are, you can see why we, and I say we collectively, Broadway, would be looking some sort of change. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. There's there's a certain amount of um, like a raw emotional connection with the change, and and that and it is intergenerational, unfortunately. Yes, that's the, that's what I was getting from from mine. We haven't had that intergenerational hate um, or feelings that that certainly the national community would have, and that want of a, a of a new Ireland passes down from generation to generation. But sadly, it passes down with emotion rather than pragmatism you know and like I, I listened to Neil, Neil Redman the other day and there's not even there's not even a joint up approach from nationalist parties you know if, if all nationalist parties came together and put down on paper their vision of what they wanted to do also priced it I think that's important that, that there's a cost and done with this as well and I think that's more important for the people in the south because that would be a big you know, the South obviously has a different tax regime, low corporation tax, high personal tax. Um, you know, so they would they would want to see that more probably than the people in the North. Um, certainly nationalists in the North uh, would be emotionally connected to Shared Island. I, I think people in the South are very much so about I, I want to how it would affect them. <laughs> yeah, um, and of course. That's important too. Of course it is. You know, that... But, but, you know, I think it's an important distinction to mention, Brian, for me anyway, and many a person like me, it wouldn't simply be a case of bolting six counties onto 26 counties to make this utopia called a new Ireland. Certainly not. For me, it would have to be a blank piece of paper. It would have to be come at it from that approach. And, yeah. that, and that's why I and others would be urging, in fact, stronger than that, demanding that the Irish government, certainly, uh, hopefully the British government, but would lead this. And that's why a citizens' assembly is important or something, call it what you want, of course. But that type of a forum and mechanism so we could sit down now and start, you know, fleshing out these things. Because if Brexit in 2016 has taught us all anything, if you have a referendum and there hasn't been a proper, thorough and detailed plan put in place and people actually go to the ballot box saying, yes, I'm confident putting an X or a tick or a number one beside this because they have seen the research, they have looked through the documents. Um, well, then you're voting blind. And I guess I am agreeing with you on this because currently um, pro-United Irelanders, regardless of what party they may vote or none, unfortunately have not done the necessary homework. But now it's early days because there's no date set yet. There may never be a date. There may <laughs> never be a date set. Yeah. But obviously I and others are looking at it from the prospect that there will be a date set at some stage. So we need to start now educating you 
we need to start educating our own communities and we need to start educating everybody. Right, here's how it will work. Here's the costings and here's our proposals. Now, do you agree? Do you disagree? Can we tweak this? Can we learn from all our countries around the world? Can we take little pieces of maybe their health care system and incorporate it into this new blank piece of paper that we will be creating? Do you follow me? Yeah, and but that's what that's what I'm genuinely looking for. And this is what but you know, if I wanted to do something, uh, say I was going into business, and we'll bring it down into business terms, I build a business plan to bring it forward to people and of say course. this is what I'm proposing. Yeah, you go to your bank manager and say there's my projections. I don't go to the bank manager and tell him, listen, for the last hundred years I've wanted this, and he would say to me, well, how you going to afford it? Well, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That seems to be what the attitude is. And, and the fact that the, the thing that really scares me is there's a huge movement towards uh, 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 the pro-UI community to do this. But there's nothing... You know, Somebody said to me the other day, I don't know if it was yourself or Neil, the discussion starts tomorrow. Like I would like to think that the discussion has already happened within the nationalist community and the plans are coming tomorrow. You and I want. I think, to I think you give us too much credit. <laughs> Unfor- just, unfortunately, for, for somebody that hasn't been involved or hasn't seen or been driven towards anything before, to come to a fresh set of eyes in the last three years and to go round and, and you know I was as much disappointed in the UK government and their feelings that that I've seen over the last three years, um, but certainly the the, the complete lack of planning or. You know, somebody now what will happen is somebody will come onto Twitter and they'll post me a news clipping from um, a, a nationalist commentator who wants a United Ireland who will justify it in you know a thousand words in the newspaper and they'll say that's that's the best thing ever. Ah. But to me, it's not really because it doesn't go any far. Listen, there has been no magic paper put out there. No, <laughs> absolutely, there hasn't. And as you rightfully said, people will be able to tag us into all sorts of things for yeah and nay after but no there has been no proper consultation i, I, I expect a few colin harvey articles to come my way after that comment. <laughs> tell me this do you trust people like me and i'm asking this as a sin- sincere question do you trust people like like the shared iron group ireland's future think 32 anybody advocating towards a new Ireland? do you think that we're coming at this from a genuine point of view or is there this fear in the back of your mind that in a new Ireland, we as in pro-United Irelanders will be kingpins? Some people would say Sinn Féin. Um, well, you know, do, do you think that there is potent, there's, a, there's a bogeyman lurking behind us somewhere? Um, I don't think there's a bogeyman. Um, certainly we would have to... From, from a unionist perspective, get used to a different type of governance. Um, now, if you see that as a boogeyman, that is your own perception. But to me, um, that's just who would govern me. It wouldn't be, you know, again, how would it affect my life? Ultimately, can I still drive to work? Can I go to the shop to buy food? Can the child go to school? Those are the sort of concerns I would have. I, I, do I trust government? No. So it doesn't matter what government it is. So I wouldn't, I, that wouldn't hold me back or that wouldn't be a perception of mine when I would be looking at either voting yes or no 
I ask the question, and I think you know the obvious reason <coughs> I ask the question is because there would be a perception within the PUL community um, that you know they would see Sinn Féin as being the kingmakers in any new Ireland and they would be afraid that the tables would be turned because of how the nationalist community was treated this past hundred years naturally people in the PL community would feel as if there's maybe wrongly so now's the time for payback you know we will stifle your culture and yeah. you'll no longer be British and all this you know uh, obviously I don't think it needs saying but certainly you know that's not my uh, wish or aspiration and I would actually fight to ensure uh, your rights or anybody's rights would be the same as mine and that's why equality has to be at the heart of everything but uh, that's the reason why I asked you the question, Brian, just, you know. Yeah, no, I think um, I think there's been a lot of lessons learned over the past. I think, uh, you know, I think whenever, again, if there was a, a solid plan for a united Ireland or a, a, a new Ireland, um, that is when the UK government unionism could come in and say, no, well, we want X, Y, and Z. And I think I had a, a great conversation with, um, I did a course at the Centre for Peace and Democracy recently um, and I spent a lot of time with uh, an SDLP, um, actually works for the SDLP and, and we sat down one day in Oxford University to solve a problem so I said right, well let's, let's do United Ireland, he's obviously very emotionally connected to it um, and I wasn't, and Oxford University had given us this uh, feel safe plan of how to solve any problem. And obviously, obviously this one didn't work. <laughs> I would love to see that. Um, so we sat down and in fairness to him, what he said to me was, I've never thought about it this way. He says, but what am I willing to give up to get a new Ireland? That's a, that's a great question. It was one that I constantly um, want to put to people that have the same aspirations as me. Are we prepared to give up something in order to what we perceive get something greater yeah that's you know that's a thing too you can you i i involve myself in twitter um i'll go into the hardline republican feeds and i get involved and see what people are saying and and some people ask questions ask questions around a flag or an anthem and there's people that are fundamentally against that and not willing to give that up but they have to be prepared to give something up yeah of course that's what a negotiation is about and that, that, that's what a blank piece of paper is about and i'm looking at the blank piece of paper in the shape of ireland of course with no borders no nothing just us as a people living on a landmass together wanting what's best for ourselves our children our grandchildren and I'm looking at a wee painting of um, that your Amber, Amber, your seven-year-old, seven-year-old painted for you on your kitchen table here. You know, for me, that's the reason why you and I is having this conversation. Yeah, it's for it's not for us, it's it's for her, and and my grandchildren, and to, so they don't have to have these conversations. And I yeah. think I think Joel Keys put it brilliantly to me in a conversation. With, we had together on this podcast and Joel said if somebody said that I could shape my future it'd be kind of he described it like having a superpower <laughs> Joel's 1920 so yeah. that's 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 the words he decided to use 
but it resonated with me, Brian. Yeah. That you know we have this opportunity here to get rid of the shackles of the past and 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 be creative and be imaginative and and look around the world and say, okay, there's something works in that country. My God, you know why not? Let us be a beacon across the world. You know, South Africa was held up to be, you know, a beacon for um, a country coming out of conflict and how to deal with it. And so have we been. But has it really worked? You know, we was it Claire Bailey said to me, we've had a, I forget her words, I'm going to misquote her here. Um, we've had a peace process, not a, I forget the way she put it, but, um, you know, our point was that we've, we've had, people have stopped losing their lives. But, you know, yeah, well, that's what I touched on earlier about me making Friday two point mm. A peace process is a is a journey to an end point. Um, now some people see that end point being the vote included within the Good Friday Agreement that brings around a united Ireland. But for me, the process, like Claire said, or or, or not quoting her right, but you know, peace has been achieved, and we're not on the brink of war anymore. So. There was never any provision built into the Good Friday Agreement for the next step that might not be unification of the vote, but how do we so we keep hashing up these new decade, new approach, which was was sort of rushed through in Milan night from what I can see in, in Stormont. Um, you know, so there needs to be there needs to be something now that is beyond the peace process. I think we've had the most successful peace process in, in the world and it's held up and I think sometimes we dine out not a bit too much. You know, it's 24 but, years. Yeah, but but you know, I don't think any of us should apologise for dining out when people are not losing their lives anymore. Yeah, no, like it, but again, it's 24 years of a process. Yeah. It's the longest process in the world. You know. With, with nobody dying. Nobody so has good. died. So we're now past... So peace process is something where you're close to the brink of war or you're in the other side of war. I don't think it's a society we're at war um, or close to war. I don't think you and me are close to war. I don't think me and my neighbours are close to war. I hope not because I'm in your kitchen. I know. There's sharp knives. <laughs> and, you're a, and, and you're a chef and you have a whole, a whole load of sharp knives. Um, you know, so I just think is there, is there maybe time and that's what I suggested earlier that, that take the time when Stormont is down for five years to allow us to be um, governed by the UK government, and at the end of the day, we just run back to the UK government anyway. Whether it be the nationalists looking for the, the cultural package or um, gay marriage, or whether the unionists running back to get what they want, we always end up back at the UK government. So, is it maybe now the time where we go back to the UK rule, which won't be palatable to many? Um, but spend that five years, three citizens' assemblies, um, civic forums, and maybe have a referendum on a different Good Friday Agreement on a, an improved that will work for everyone. Um, and maybe even get a bit more information around the border poll. Because at the moment the border poll is one guy sitting in Westminster decides he wants to have it. There's no, like, there's no target. There's no... If you work towards this or if you can do this or do that, um, 
and here's what the question would be and, and after the question it would be a 10 year period of of integration you know we literally know nothing and that's probably i suppose why nationalism hasn't really come up with a plan as well because they don't really know what they're planning for i think you know without getting into it because obviously me and you aren't going to solve much if uh, um, <laughs> sitting here too but, but for for me it's about you know this is the start of a process this is the start of a conversation um <clears throat> now that we have got a peace process fair enough as you say it's a, it's a long drawn out one but there is nobody losing their life so for me that's that's the only thing that really matters but you know if I and New Irelanders want to see change and proper change, you know, we have to start having conversations. And and I guess, you know, it wasn't all that long ago, Brian, where I remember uh, political leaders um, standing up on TV and radio saying, oh, no, we'll never speak about that because, you know, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. You know, so for me, there has been a massive change. We are having these conversations now. They are um, not conversations to be looked down upon anymore. They're taking place in the BBC, the UTV, RTE, you and I speaking about it. Um, there's different civic organisations brought up. Um, the, the conversation now is front and centre. And that's where, where I, in my community, wants to see it. Now, not because we want to be talking about nothing else, but we're entitled to talk about it. Yeah. That's, I guess, what I'm saying. You know, it's not this dirty word that cannot ever be spoken in public. You know, uh, yeah. I will respect anyone's right to to talk about, you know, their aspirations. But equally, you have to respect mine. And of course, I'm not saying you. I'm just general generalizing here. So for me, there has been a lot of work done, to be honest with you. But on the minutia and the finer points of it. How is it going to affect you and I and every and somebody living in Cork? How is it going to affect us in our pocket? How is it going to affect our children and our grandchildren in 50 years' time? Of course, the fine detail now needs to be starting to be put on paper. And this is why it's imperative that the Irish government, as co-guarantors of the Good Friday Agreement, get involved and lead the charge on this. Because we, we don't always... We're not saying this is inevitable. But what we are saying, we're entitled to talk about it. Somebody asked me the other day, uh, and I thought it was quite a good point, <clears throat> was um, if there was a United Ireland, uh, would there be a built-in mechanism that at any stage, at any given time, there could be a border poll called to bring back Northern Ireland? <laughs> yes, that's, a, that's a, a good question, isn't it? But sure, listen, unionists would want that, but yeah, but but sure, then why not join the conversation, jump around the table? Yeah. Why not let's have a civilized, adult, respectful, grown up conversation? Yeah, but, That's all that for, anyone's for me personally. I don't agree with it because at the end, you know, people talk about being in the middle ground in Northern Ireland or undecided or whatever, or a border poll's not at the end of the day, Northern Ireland is constitutionally built around a border poll that's what it is you know you'll have to choose at one stage and i think that's actually i think it's a real negative on society that that's 
in the back of your head. Hanging over our head. Like it's hanging over your head. And it's the same way whenever I... But when we live in a divided society with people that look upon, like we, as I say, we collectively, my community, look towards Dublin for leadership. Potentially your community historically looked towards London for leadership. Okay. So the reality is this, we live in a divided society. So that's the reason why this dark cloud of a border pole will always be hanging over us until why? Until when? Until ultimately. Why why not have a democratic? And I'm assuming we, we're all democrats here. Not you and I, but in society. Yeah. We all proclaim to be. So why not have a democratic vote? What has anyone? And I mean this sincerely. What has anyone got to be afraid of? Giving everyone their democratic right to go to the ballot box and saying yes or no. There's a challenge for anyone listening to this now. What have you got to be afraid of, folks? Yeah, and I, like I just think, <clears throat> I just think there isn't a level ground. You know that you can be, you can be a soft nationalist, a soft unionist. But at the end of the day, you have to. You have to. When the ballot comes, there'll be no. I, I, I'm not ready to make my mind up yet. When it gets to that stage, the work has been done. So, and but then I do understand why people are in the middle, because there is no answers either way. There's no, there is no better version of Northern Ireland being proposed by the UK government, and there is no better version of this island being proposed by the Irish government. So you, you will be in limbo a bit. Um, and, and then you have the, the other thing. Some people say Brexit was good for United Ireland um, or, or brought it closer. To me, it's brought it further away because a constitutional change, let's be honest, has been an absolute disaster. And that was because, because there was no groundwork done. Right? Yeah. Or, I'm, sorry, I'm not saying that's the only reason, but <clears> it's one of the big contributing factors. People simply, members of my own family, said to me, Niall, why will I vote here? <laughs> you know, genuinely that's what I said. And I know that's not unique case. Like, yeah. You know, there's so much confusion and, and miss media put out there and dark money fired at it. And that's not me having a go at the DUP and Cambridge Analytica. Okay, it is. Um, <laughs> but, but, but you know what I mean? Yeah. There, were, there was so much misinformation, but like, nobody really knew on this or a political anarch nearly. You know, like David McCann. Hi, David. Um, you know, you didn't nearly know what way to vote. So we want to avoid that, right, yeah. moving forward with our lives. But that's know. where the work has to go in now. Yeah, and, of you course. Know, um, like I said at the start, I, I'm a unionist because I was born a unionist. Mm. I didn't choose. It's about like your family. You don't choose. Tell me this. How do you identify? British, Irish or neither? Uh, Northern Irish. Northern Irish. I think it's the biggest shame that, that, that comes along with the Good Friday Agreement is people will represent themselves as British. People will represent themselves as Irish. But nobody really represents themselves as Northern Irish. Um, and I think that something that was lost um you know there was as always in northern ireland there's you go left and i'll go right um but i think northern Irish is something to be proud of you know i, I worked with the northern ireland football team as their chef during the euros Very so good traveled the world um and people genuinely people genuinely loved the northern ireland fans 
Is, is that not more out of sorrow because we usually get tanked? No, but <laughs> I said to Harry Hughes one day, somebody came up to him, he was eating his breakfast, and he says, Here, great game last night, you know, fantastic, whatever. And I went to him, and I says to him, Do you never get sick of that? You know, just being, just trying to be a normal person eating your breakfast. He says, It beats when they used to come up to you all the time and say, Hard luck, mate. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Harry Hughes, a good cookstick man. Good cookstick like, man. Like, like myself. Yeah. Um, outside of what I want. He, he's made a life for himself over there in Newcastle, obviously, mm. with the, the, the draws of the Premier League. Um, and that's why he, he's not there, but he, he's a massive advocate for, for Northern Ireland um, football. And I think... Has, has Northern Ireland football, as you put it, has it thrown off the shackles of the Neil Lennon days where Neil used to get bullets sent to him on the post and stuff, representing, you know, Northern Ireland? What he was prepared to do, even though he, he, he obviously had different views. Yeah, well, do you think now we've, we've removed it, or is there work still to be done? I think it'll always be contentious because whenever you're talking, uh, whenever you're talking sort of dual citizenship, and you can choose to play for the other, and you you know when you have things like poppies involved, or even wearing a black armband for. A royal day, and you know, in Northern Ireland, that's contentious. Of course, it is. Yeah, you know that is contentious, and that that's I think, who we are. <laughs> that, like we, and, and we'll go left and right. It'll be yeah. I don't want to do it, and everyone will go. I want to do it. Our national stadium, where situated, do you think is that? Do, should that be changed potentially? Does that put people maybe from Maggie and Mike maybe off goal there? Uh, yeah, it's it's quite a walk. Um, to it, I think in fairness to the to the AFA, they have done a lot of work to remove that sectarian sort of feel about it. But you know, it has its culture, and that culture will will never die away. Um, Should soccer go down the same route as rugby and have one team representing one island? Um, I think we do it well at cricket. I think we do it well at rugby. Um, why why should soccer be any different? Even you call it soccer, I call it football. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's only one football, and that's called Gaelic. Exactly. Um, so, football is a different supporter. Football is very, it's an aggressive tribalness, whereas rugby predominantly is a, it's not as tribal. If you know, there's hate in football. You know, you go back to Derby's, Liverpool, Everton, hate. You know, Rangers, Celtic, hate. And you've been a sports man using Arsenal. We hate no one. <laughs> We're not good enough to hate anyone. Um, How'd you get on last night, by the way? 1-3-1. One, one. Good match. But sure, he's already playing a lot of second. Doesn't matter, one's a one. Oh, my God. One's a one. Um, so, I, I, I don't... Like, I, I love watching Ireland rugby. It's great with the four provinces, and that's probably something that, that maybe needs to be looked into. Um, certainly, where if I was looking at a New Ireland thing, I'd be looking at the federal state of the four provinces mm-hmm. um, and having a, a central federal government and then have four devolved areas, potentially. So Stormont would be retained in your vision of a New Ireland? Stormont would be retained and would be the local government of Ulster. Yeah. Uh, would then incorporate three extra counties mm-hmm. um, and then have your federal government um, because I think policing and stuff as well will have to be, you know, policing in Ulster would be very different to policing in Leinster 
you know, there's a localized um, knowledge that's required. So, and I suppose um, that just makes me think about being um, ruled from London, us Irish people or Northern Irish people. Um, you know, there's a local thing that should we not be doing ourselves? Yeah, but I, I think there is a lot to be said for a proper cooling off period. We have these cooling off periods which are frantic and fraught with division and we want and we want and, and, and then there's a deal hashed out behind the scenes. Just to get it over the line. Just to get a deal done. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think I'd be willing to accept the UK rule if we were able to set out a time frame of civil discussion and discourse of, of how to how to do something better. Brian, we are 52 minutes in here. Thank you very much for giving up your <laughs> Sunday afternoon. Um, one last question for you, if you don't mind. Yeah. Integrated education. How do you currently see it? And obviously looking through my lenses in a new shared Ireland, how would you see education? Well, I went to grammar school, so we were integrated. Um, it wasn't called integrated. We didn't play... We didn't play Gaelic was the only thing I would say would be um, would be missing from that. What type of history were you taught? Uh, First World War, Second World War. Um, Anything about um, the rising in 1916? Uh, probably not. Um, in fairness, I, I went on, I, I do a course now with yeah, but that's your choice now. Yeah, and I think, um, and like I do it with Martin Snowden, who, uh, former loyalist, mm-hmm. uh, bomber, um, but has a, has a great knowledge and has, you know, I find it quite interesting. So that was missing from, you know, from my history. Um, so I tried to fill that blank myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I agree that it should be on the curriculum. It should be on the curriculum. Um, but my schooling was very different from other people in Amavati who went to the high school mm-hmm. and it was very different from other people that went to St Mary's now I know they're doing that shared schooling thing um, at the minute uh, I seen Robbie Butler was down uh, with the two principals those two schools are side by side they're divided by a Blackburn path and like it used to be about cages you know like wartime stuff and that's what those children grew up in. Well, obviously, from a bias point of view, I like the word shared. Anything shared yeah. has to be at least explored and welcomed. Yeah, that, that Lumavati uh, model they're doing of the shared thing, I know people don't agree with it because it's not f- proper integration or it maybe costs more, you know, but you have to look at it and see how it pans out. Um, but for me, my, my education, I sat side by side with other people that I wouldn't necessarily know the religion. Um, so I wasn't... But you know, I love that, the way you put that, Brian. Sitting beside other people, particularly at a young age, without actually knowing their religion. Isn't that how we should all judge each other? The, the only way that I would have known that somebody was maybe from a nationalist background is when we went to play rugby. And the boys he hadn't a clue. He started soldering it up the field. No. <laughs> Put it over the bar. The boys, the boys that played, you like, kick the ball further. Ah, okay. Which made for a great rugby team. 
um, like we did well. Lumbavadi Grammar School was never was was never great. Oh my god! Um, we, have, we had a couple of we had a couple of good boys who used to play for Burnfoot and Glacken around that area. <laughs> and see when they kicked a ball, went for miles. Yes. Um, you know, I suppose us we Protestants were a bit quicker at running as well, so yes. we worked well together. Ah, very um, good. It like it reminds me of my daughter. She was playing netball or basketball, but she was a big Gaelic girl. And then she hit the ball this time and she was running down the basketball court and next thing she started soloing the ball and people were shouting at her and she was at a loss in what she was doing. Like she didn't realise it just, it just came naturally to her. Listen, um, Brian Donaldson, it's been an absolutely fascinating 56 minutes and I, and I really can't believe it's been that um, we're here waffling for 56 minutes. I genuinely could talk to you for another 56 and we'll maybe do it again if you're agreeing. Yeah. Um, I've no questions. I had no questions read out for you today and it was kind of like a deliberate ploy on my behalf. We'll just have a natter and see see where it goes. That's right. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of wee um, questions that I always ask everybody right now at the end of the podcast on a slightly more lighthearted note. Um, who inspires you, Brian? My mother. Your mother. <laughs> Simple as she, that. Uh, she was inspiration, um, the constant throughout my life, and um, she never. There, there was never a ceiling for. Her. There was never nothing that held her back. Mm. Um, and I suppose always look at that and think, she just has a good. She just has a good way about life. And if, if there was a lot more people like her, would be in a better place. Lovely answer. Best piece of advice. You are ever given. Suppose <laughs> you go to Oasis, don't look back in anger. Um, <laughs> it's probably, you know, trying to let go of things and, and not hold um, the burden of, of hate uh, against other people. I think I wasn't given that advice, but that's something that I've certainly grown into now. Is, um, is, is don't look back in anger. The past is gone. We have already survived and coped with everything from our past. Is that a Louis system? No, no. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my version of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not much of a Louis fan if you had asked me it was that in I know. You only have one song. <laughs> Water or alcohol? Alcohol. Good red man. wine. Oh, red wine. Good man. Um, one item that will always be in your fridge no matter what. Um, before you answer, I'm very interested to hear this because um, Brian is a chef, folks. <laughs> it's, butter, it's because it's a basis for everything. Butter goes into everything. <laughs> um, you know, there'll be lamb done today, lamb steaks, there'll be butter in the lamb, there'll be extra butter in the spuds, there'll be butter in the veg. If there's no butter in the fridge... Get me out of here before I get a heart attack. Uh, it's a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> Best film? Best film? Tombstone, I'm gonna say. Oh, okay, a western type thing, isn't it? Uh, it's a very, it's a very modern western. Val Kilmer, um, it's very good in it and the role he plays. And again, it, I love films that sort of work around truth. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, a true story of why it is in there, mm -hmm. um, and then sort of expands on the truth. We'll call it. Um, yeah. But I see him like I watched the first time. Um, a couple of weeks back, a friend Dominic had, had recommended I'd never seen it. it was Michael Collins' film. Okay. With Liam Neeson. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I watched that and based around the truth. So. Ever watched The One That Shakes the Barley? No. No. 
Watch it. I'll watch it next. Last book, and you're not allowed to say a Good Friday Agreement. <laughs> <laughs> um, best book, I'll give you the name of it now. Um, As he lifts his phone on Google, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have it on, I have it on my, my Audible. Oh, okay. Um, I just want to make sure I get the name right. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Give us a wee flavour. Chris Voss, um, chief FBI negotiator, now runs his own company, I think it's called Black Swan. Um, is it fiction or, or sorry? No, it, it, it's a factual, factual. Um, yeah. advice steering book. So um, it's on negotiation and it's about Never Split the Difference and it goes against the logic of the likes of win-win situations. So... What a win-win situation is what everyone thinks they should aim for, but in actual fact, it works out to be a lose-lose for both sides eventually. Okay, interesting. So, like I would, for anyone that wants to understand how to to get in negotiation, I did a course at Queens during lockdown on negotiation with um, Edna Young, amazing teacher, and, and he recommended the book. And, and Chris What's the name of the book again? Never split the difference. This silence is me writing. <laughs> but it's, split the difference. it's an interesting um, take on, on how to negotiate. And certainly from Chris being the, the FBI's chief negotiator, hostage negotiator, he would know enough of your tricky situations. He'd be a pretty good man to ask, all right? Bring him in. Bring him, get him over here, <laughs> quick. <laughs> Will he come on to the DUP leader's letter uh, space? Which is there's a challenge, DUP leader. Uh, power they can't get him on. Last question, uh, Brian. If you could invite three people to your fictional dinner party, dead or alive, who would they be and why? Um, I would love to bring uh, Harry Redknapp, being a, a Spurs fan, and obviously... There, there'll be people out there that didn't as know long Harry. as Jamie doesn't come uh, I don't mind no, no Jamie but Harry <laughs> I think he touched the hearts of a lot of people when he went on to I'm a Celebrity or, or one of those shows so he's got that common touch he does he's, he's a real good guy um, I would love to bring in Marco Pierre White always been a huge fan being a chef um, being a chef and I think I just think he can't really be as pompous as he is in TV in real life. No, I, I, can, I think I can, I'm a pretty good reader of people and, I, and watching him on his shows, he's, he's, he's not. No, no, I, I can bring him in. And then I suppose growing up, um, growing up watching sort of films and, and aren't they Arnold Schwarzenegger? Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yeah. Right, okay. Just, just because, you know, he's always been... Um, he was always in films. It was back in the days whenever there was maybe 10 or 15 films released a year. Yes. You know, whereas now there's 10 or 15 films released a day. Yeah. But Arnie would have been in one or two of them of course, um, yeah. each year. Yeah, and, I, and he's got quite a, a checkered career. Um, you know, bodybuilder, obviously, um, um, in the films, and now politician. But he's um, always been the best. He was the best bodybuilder. Uh, he was the, t- now, well, you can't call him the best actor, but he was in the big blockbusters. Yeah. And then he went on the politicians and he became the governor. So I'm particularly living in a country where English was a second language. Yeah, so I think he, there's a lot to be said for that career that has moved three different ways and he's always performed at the top level. So um, Interesting dinner. Yeah, be. Mm. No females on no there. Fa- I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm very picky about this, about any of our guests that have all males or all females. 
um, because normally you do get a few comments under in the thread underneath. Yeah, it's PC and all that. Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. like that. Yeah, well, yeah, well. But uh, still, it's uh, I don't think anybody could disagree. It's quite a varied and interesting guest list, so won't hammer you too much. So, um, Brian, I'll give you the last word. Anything to say before we go? Yeah, no. Thanks for thanks for having my views put on, and I think. Um, Northern Ireland needs to learn that, that, that there is lots of views and people can't dismiss, we're, we're too dismissive, um, especially around the protocol or Brexit or the, the border poll, we, we dismiss. And I think this is really good, these conversations where um, these are my lived experiences. It might not be thousands of people, it might only be hundreds of people, but it is a real life thing. So um, thanks for having me on. Brian Donaldson, it's been a pleasure and thank you for inviting me into your beautiful home on a Sunday afternoon. We're two sad people, aren't we? Uh, on a Sunday we're sitting talking about uh, politics and everybody else is probably a feet up watching football. Exactly. Anyway, uh, folks, hope you enjoyed the natter for the past hour and four or five minutes. Um, if you have any comments to make, either negative or positive, please put them on the feed below. Till the next time, take care, be good, bye-bye.